Welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. In this podcast, we take a reading from Scripture each day. We look at the background material to that passage and also application for us. Once again, welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Illuminated Word. My name is Devin Morris, and today we are going to be looking at 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 1 through 18. Let's read those together as we get started. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. And Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And Ahab said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs of water and to all the valleys. Perhaps we may find grass and save the horses and mules alive and not lose some of the animals. So they divided the land between them to pass through it. Ahab went in one direction by himself, and Obadiah went in another direction by himself. And as Obadiah was on the way, behold, Elijah met him. And Obadiah recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is it you, my lord Elijah? And he answered him, It is I. Go, tell your Lord, Behold, Elijah is here. And he said, How have I sinned that you would give your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my Lord has not sent to seek you. And when they would say, He is not here, he would take an oath of the kingdom or nation that they had not found you. And now you say, Go, tell your Lord, Behold, Elijah is here. And as soon as I have gone from you, the Spirit of the Lord will carry you away, I know not where. And so when I come and tell Ahab that he cannot find you, he will kill me, although I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Has it not been told, my Lord, that what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, how I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifties in a cave and fed them with water and bread? And now you say, Go tell your Lord, Behold, Elijah is here, and he will kill me. And Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts lives, before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. So Obadiah went and met Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, It is you, you troubler of Israel. And he, said, and he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have. In your father's house? because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Um, this is a really cool chapter, you know, especially as we get towards the end of it here. It's that, that iconic scene at Mount Carmel with with Ahab and, and Elijah versus Ahab's prophets. And uh, just a cool scene. But this is, the one, this is the episode leading up to it that I think, at least in, in my experience, we tend to brush over. I know I brush over it because I'm ready to get to the good stuff. And so we don't really stop and and think about what's going on here. But let's give some let's give some context as to what makes this scene at Mount Carmel so spectacular. Um, to begin with, if you remember that Elijah has been in exile for a while in Zarephath, and so it's while Elijah is gone, while Elijah is not in Israel, this famine occurs. So you can kind of see how Elijah carries with him the word of God. And when the word of God leaves Israel, famine happens. And, and, and the absence of God's presence just brings chaos. 
and life is not able to sustain itself. So it's this really cool, uh, you know, uh, picture going on here with the absence of God and and death and famine fo- quickly follows. So while Elijah has been in exile in Zarephath, God calls him back to come into Israel in the third year of the famine. And uh, I'm not a big, you know, numerologist. I don't, I don't dig too deeply into the numbers. Uh, within the Bible, I think some of them have importance and others do not. And if we focus on them too much, sometimes we can get in over our heads a little bit. But um, I think we could find some illusion here uh, in, in the fact that the word of the God, the word of God, comes back in the third year and life is brought back to Israel. Um, I think that's a pretty good pointer towards uh, the resurrection of Christ. Christ comes in the third day and brings life again, restores life. There are already a lot of connections between Elijah's ministry and Jesus' ministry, um, and, and this, I think, could be one of those those connections. Three years of famine, and in the third year, Elijah returns with the word of the Lord, and life is brought back. So it's it's what's maybe contradictory to what's going on here is that while um, God's word had left Israel, uh, this was a reflection of Solomon's prayer back in chapter 8 uh, at the dedication of the temple in, in verses 35 through 36 specifically. Uh, it talks Solomon in his prayer says, God, don't restore the land. If, if famine comes and sin has entered the land and, and you have, you're, you know, you're bringing your judgment against it, don't relent until the people repent. And what's interesting is that's not what's happening here that God is bringing Elijah back into the land even though Ahab has showed no repentance. Uh, There is still idol worshiping. There are still right here in the the following verses that he is killing off prophets of the Lord. He's he's still, I mean, intensely involved in sin. I mean, aggressively involved in sin. He's at the forefront of the sin of Israel. There's no repentance. There's no repentance on Ahab's part, yet God is returning. And not only does this kind of go against Solomon's prayer at the dedication of the temple, it seems to go against a lot of what God has said in the past, that when a certain nation leaves him, uh, that he will not return until repentance has come about. Um, That's a really big theme in in the prophets. Uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah specifically come come to my mind, uh, that that mercy, that that grace, that that restoration of life does not come until repentance comes. Um, that's not what is being shown here. And, and, and so um, we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. So in the following verses, uh, Jezebel kind of makes a, a quick appearance and she's, uh, you know, killing off prophets of the Lord. And you kind of have this uh, anti-type character, Obadiah, who is trying to save these prophets, and so he takes and hides them and uh, feeds them, provides for them uh, in this land that is without God. And so you can even see that even in places where God seems to be absent, that God will still provide for his people. And so that's a very powerful imagery uh, that Obadiah provides. But this character of Obadiah, you know, he kind of takes over the first half of this chapter, especially he's he has such a long dialogue here with Elijah. Uh, so it, it's worth diving into his character a little bit. So Obadiah, or Obed-Yah, uh, that's maybe the way to say it where, where you can break it up a little bit. Obed is the Hebrew word for servant, and Yah, 
uh, Yahweh. So Obadiah's name literally means the servant of Yahweh. And so he is here uh, providing for God's people, and he is the, the anti-type to Jezebel. And, and there might be kind of a play on um, what's happening here because, you know, Baal should be the God which uh, specifically provides water for his people. That's going to be one of the big um, uh, things that we should recall later in the chapter when, um, as Elijah is, you know, kind of provoking the, the prophets of Baal to, to light this fire, he says, hey, even pour water on on mine before you try to light it, and I'll still get it to uh, to light. And that's because Baal is supposed to be this god of water, god of rain. He is supposed to provide his people, and he's not doing it here. And so Obadiah, the servant of Yahweh, is the one who provides water. And and so that might be kind of a hit against uh, these idol worshipers and people who, who might have any allegiance to Baal to say, hey, look, he's not doing his job here. That's It's being done by Yahweh. And um, so not only does his, his name kind of have this, um, you know, heavy allusion to Yahweh, but uh, and, and not only is he kind of working against Jezebel and, and saving the people, uh, saving the prophets of the Lord, but this should also kind of be emphasized by the fact that Ahab cares more about the cattle than he does the prophets of the Lord. You know, in verse 5, he's wanting to go through the land and, and do whatever they can to save the, save the cattle. And, and you can just really see Ahab's complete uh, lack of care, of knowledge, of uh, attempting to be a servant of Yahweh. Obadiah is that person. Uh, Obadiah is the, uh, the exemplar of character here in this, in this chapter. And uh, one thing to point out too is that, and I think this is actually a really strong point in these verses that we've read is that when God calls us, he doesn't necessarily always call us to be an Elijah. He doesn't necessarily always call us, uh, you know, you specifically, me specifically, to be that person that, that confronts the opposition, uh, that, that is constantly speaking out against evil in the way that Elijah does. Sometimes maybe we're called to be an Obadiah where we are working uh, with corrupt govern governments where we are working with corrupt systems uh, and subverting their evil in order to fulfill Yahweh's law because that's what Obadiah is doing here you know even though he may work for for Ahab and have this uh, you know big title as as mayor of the palace and everything but he's still doing everything he can to fulfill God's will and he's even kind of going behind Ahab's back in, in making sure that these prophets of the Lord are safe and secure and fed. And, and that's a really interesting thing to think about, that that was Obadiah's calling, that that is what he was, um, you know, he, he saw his opportunity there uh, despite uh, being around evil people and being a part of evil systems. He still served God uh, in every way that he could. So that's a big thing to think about is we're not always the Elijahs, maybe we're the Obadiah. And and we, no matter where we're at, no matter what we're doing, looking for ways to serve God, even if it means, you know, kind of risking our lives, because that's what Obadiah is doing here. In order to save these these prophets of, uh, of Yahweh, he's putting his life on the line. Uh, the big issue, though, 
and I, I've already hinted at it earlier, is, is why has God even come to these people? Why is he coming despite their lack of repentance? Why has he come back to Israel? There is no repentance on behalf of Ahab or any other leaders, it seems. Uh, it seems, despite popular opinion of God in the Old Testament, that here, especially, he is merciful to the point of annoyance. Uh, you could you could be frustrated with God reading First uh, Kings eighteen in the next dozen chapters because Ahab continues to do well. His uh, his successors, evil successors, the Omri dynasty that comes in after him, uh, they do well. They defeat their enemies and, and they continue to uh, prolificate evil and, and and do these monstrous. Uh, treacherous deeds against God and against their fellow man. And and, and it just goes to show, because remember, no one's repented at this point. God's simply coming to them and providing them with these prophets, providing them with life, providing them with food and water, uh, not leaving them to famine. God is coming in despite their unrepentance. And, and so I think a lot of people might pose a question, you know, how do you reconcile an omnipotent God with uh, th- this problem of evil? And I think it's the wrong question. And Peter Lightheart brings this out in his commentary. He says, that's not the question. The question is, why does God show so much kindness to the wicked? And that's an interesting thing to think about and probably the bigger question to ask ourselves here in these verses. One last thing to bring up, and it's when Ahab and Elijah finally come together and they meet in, after all this time. Uh, of Elijah being in exile, and uh, Ahab refers to Elijah as the troubler of Israel. This title is first used in Joshua 6.18 and in 7.25 of Achan, who had stolen from the Lord's plunder, uh, and it's because of that sin that they are not able to defeat Ai, and Joshua becomes, you know, distraught because he's lost so many men because of this. And anyway, Achan is called the troubler of Israel, someone who has brought sin into Israel. And it's so ironic that on Ahab meeting Elijah, he calls Elijah the troubler of Israel. So we might kind of laugh at Elijah for having such a silly retort. You know, no, I'm not. You are. It's kind of like what Elijah does. But while it's simplistic, it's the truth. Uh, It's Ahab's sin that has brought this famine in. And in the scene that comes in after this, just... uh, secures and finalizes Elijah's point. Ahab uh, is the troubler of Israel here, not Elijah. Well, I hope this has been a good study. Hope you turn it, tune in tomorrow because that's where things get really interesting and, and seeing this scene play out on, on Mount Carmel. I hope you are looking for ways to love and serve your neighbor in genuine and sincere ways. Peace and love.